This is the Payback Time Podcast, where we interview driven individuals who have achieved or are well on their way to achieving financial freedom. We break down the steps required to generate leveraged income, including but not limited to stock investing, online business, traditional business, and real estate. Each episode breaks down the mistakes made, victories achieved, and the overall journey that led them to where they are today. Sean Tepper is your host, and here is today's episode. My next guest built and sold his first business in his mid-20s. He pretty much put himself in a position where he could retire early. Well, like most entrepreneurs, you can't simply sit still the rest of your life. It's time to get after it. So he went on to build and sell multiple other businesses. Talk about having the blueprint for success. This guy has it nailed. I think you're going to love this episode. Please welcome Brian Gardner. Brian, how's it going? It's going great, Sean. Thanks for having me. So. Let's start with the first question here. Can you give the audience a little bit of your career background? Yeah, um, I've always been inter- um, super interested in being an entrepreneur since I was young, like high school even. Okay. And um, when I was in college, because I essentially um, I did two years off before college, I wasn't really sure if I really wanted to go to college because I never really felt like I was going to be uh, climb the ladder type of guy. <laughs> and, um, I actually started my first online business when I was 19. That was, uh, wow. very similar to a, a business called gear trade. Um, that's owned by backcountry.com, very similar business model. Mm-hmm. Um, cause at the time I was living in Colorado and going to university of Colorado. And, um, I was in kind of in love with that site cause it was allowing me to buy like, you know, used gear that I could you know, use, um, without having to spend a fortune. And anyways, that, uh, business, I, I hustled and spent maybe a year of my life, not any money really doing it. Um, but it failed and it taught me a lot. And then when I was 21, I started, uh, 21, 22 or so, um, I was going into grad school and studying accounting, um, and finance, which really was a terrible path for me, but I was kind of trying to challenge myself to, learn something technical because I was really more interested in things like philosophy and psychology that don't really have any great career paths. And, um, yeah, so when I was, um, 22, I started a a t-shirt company that was kind of like a novelty, um, kind of branched into the toy business as well. It was like a a interactive glow in the dark t-shirt called laser shirts. And, um, that was right around the same year that Kickstarter, um, launched and became pretty popular. So I timed, uh, got lucky with that timing and um, mm-hmm. someone recommended to do a Kickstarter video. And I'd already been familiar a little bit with my first company with selling things online. And I, I mean, the word fascination or captivated, I mean, doesn't even really compare to the level of enthusiasm I had for e-commerce. I mean, when I could put something on a website that I built and then someone across the country or across the world even would, would buy that. And then mm-hmm. I would, you know, create this, uh, you know, really fun activity, like on my end to see an order come in. That was like, you know, heroin to me. It was like, I need, I need to keep doing this because this is so fun. <laughs> and um, so I was really involved in, um, you know, for that, for that laser shirts company, creating videos, um, creating a lot of content because it was a, a product that required a little bit of a learning curve. It wasn't just a t-shirt. It wasn't just a toy. It was kind of an interactive thing. 
Mm -hmm. And then uh, we were successful on Kickstarter, which was amazing. I mean, we made, you know, I was, I was in college and I think we made like 11 or something thousand dollars on Kickstarter. And to me, that was like, you know, an infinite amount of money. <laughs> sure. And, right. uh, and you know, we're shipping out trying, it was me and my business partner. We were trying to ship out like, you know, something like 1500 shirts in a week and, and all the struggles of logistics and learning about for sure um, how wholesaling works and how supply chains work. And um, all that was, I mean, critical to me kind of breaking me down into the things I like and don't like. And, um, mm -hmm. but also understanding, understanding at a fundamental level, how, you know, how to manage inventory, how to manage production, how to do, um, how to manage contractors for graphic design website, how e-commerce works, how to get traffic to your website, things like that. Just on a really small sure. level though. And um, uh, we were lucky enough to get a, a, a financial partner and, um, and uh, just a really good mentor in that business that um, kind of mentored me through uh, some e-commerce um, background, but also like going to trade shows and, and really doing every facet of, of mm -hmm. retail um, from, you know, R&D to production to um, direct to consumer as well as wholesaling to retailers. And, um, and, and, and during this time, I, was, I just continued to be hyper-focused on e-commerce. You know, sure. if I can spend the things that got went through my head every minute were, well, if I can spend this much on YouTube ads or this much on Google ads, or at the time Facebook was really still um, pretty young, but if I can spend this a dollar for, for a visitor and get $2 back, well, then the sky's the limit, right? I'd send theory, right. I should be able to spend, just throw money at that, right? And so I learned quickly that's not the case. Um, you kind of have a <laughs> limit with the market and, and the way that your market, your product is perceived and. Sure. and struggles there. Um, so kind of fast forwarding, that was kind of the, where I cut my teeth. And then um, fast forwarding, I, I didn't make enough money with that venture, although it was mildly successful, I didn't make enough to make a career out of that business alone. So I went back to um, get my CPA and I worked for a, um, two different accounting firms. And by the time I had passed on my exams, I had already been fired from two different CPA firms, which is, which is uh, wow. rightfully so. I should have been fired because I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible employee because um, <laughs> my mind is just elsewhere, right? The whole time I'm working, I'm just thinking about other things. So I never actually got licensed as a CPA because of that. Sure. Um, it was a bl blessing in disguise. And, and during that time, uh, a buddy of mine co-founded a, a patented bicycle product called Fly Pedals. And uh, we had a similar beginning where we started with Kickstarter campaigns. I love the video production aspect of it, creating, you know, unique visuals that really mm -hmm. communicate what the product value is to people, understanding that it's, it's, it's as simple as something, you know, selling a product online direct to consumer is as simple or in a retail store. It's, it can be simplified by saying, communicate the value to the, the consumer, tell them, you know, where's the problem? This is, this is the product that solves that problem mm -hmm. and the price matches the value of that, right? Well, it's a super simple uh, w way to, uh, to kind of justify that, but in reality, it doesn't, it doesn't always work like that, right? There's like, again, that kind of that cap, because especially with the products I was working in, it's a niche product. And um, anyway, so we had three or four really solid years with that company that did significantly better than the first one, again, learning learning um, an astro astronomical amount of information about um, e-commerce. E-commerce was also blooming during that time. 
Facebook was coming up, Facebook ads were starting to convert better. Mm -hmm. um, their learning algorithms were, were making it much more easy for amateurs, uh, which was me at the time, you know, amateur advertisers to really convert into sales through uh, their traffic channels and their, their advertising channels. Sure. And um, the one cool thing that I learned from that, that company that was, a, that was pivotal to my career later um, is that we learned, or uh, I should say, I learned that, uh, you know, when there's a Kickstarter campaign, a crowdfunding campaign, at least when they were, those were really popular, people love to share organically those types of things because there's like this intrinsic um, uh, nature that people want to help out the little guy, right? right. And, and, I, and that totally resonates with me, right? So people share these campaigns um, just on their own free will, because it's cool. They want to share people, show people, Hey, there's a cool small business owner that created this product. You should go support them. And once the Kickstarter campaigns ends, it's no longer cool to share that product, right? Cause it's just another website. It's just another business. Right. And at some point people sure. just assume that, Oh, you made $50,000 or $200,000 in a Kickstarter campaign this guy's probably, you know, you know, got tons of money, which is rarely the case, right? Just a small <laughs> amount of that money flows through the, through the owners in a lot of the cases, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so uh, what I wanted to do was, and what I did do was create a um, new software, uh, which eventually became my business that I still currently own that provides passive income for me, which is called Coopt, C-O-O-P-T. And that's an e-commerce software um, that uh, is an automated marketing program that allows uh, customers of B2C um, websites, uh, primarily Shopify, but we're on other platforms as well, to get cash back um, upon the purchase of a sale for sharing on Facebook. And the way that that differs from traditional affiliate or um, referral marketing programs is you, you don't need to sign up for an account to maybe get a um, benefit in the future. So you get an instant benefit now. And the reason that's important is because the conversion rates for people that do those referral or affiliate programs, it's usually less than 1% of people actually end up sharing because they don't wanna have to go through the whole hassle of signing up for an account and maybe getting a future discount when they can just share right now and get 1% or 5% or 10% or $5 or whatever the discount might be set by the retailer. Nice. So that was the, that was the, the, another big shift in my thought process. And that was a, a, um, meet, meet another mediocre financial success. It wasn't anything big, but it was again, another niche product that was kind of slowly, um, you know, uh, helping me learn a lot more. And, and with that one, it was helping me get, kind of a backdoor visual on we at one point you know earlier on i think three or four months into that launching that uh, app we had you know four or five thousand businesses using using the program and i'm only making anywhere from nine to nine to thirty dollars on average uh per month per user so it's not an, a, a huge amount of revenue um but it, it was pretty good but it, more importantly i was able to see out of those thousands of businesses the it was basically a sample size of e-commerce stores online i was able to see what kind of businesses do you know two hundred thousand dollars a year which kind of businesses do mm -hmm. two million and which ones do 20 30 50 million you know and some of these businesses um that made the most money it totally broke my whole mentality 
that I had prior um, about conversion reoptimization, website design, things like that, right? The stores that were making the most money had terrible website design. They had terrible um, product, maybe not product photos for uh, necessarily, but they had they had very poor user flow, user-friendly design in their website. They were essentially just pretty pictures with a price and a buy buy button. And um, I would just I would just kind of hustle. I would just call these guys that made the top twenty people that were making most money. I would just call them up and say, "Hey, I'm Brian from the you know, founder of Coot, and and um, I just want to you know first I'd, I'd probably say something like just want to let uh, you know that I'm here if I can help with anything or blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of say. Hey, by the way, you know, uh, I noticed your your store is doing very well, you know, in comparison to, to most stores. Can you walk me through a little bit about what you do? And I just try to learn and absorb as much as I can from them. And I would just go down the list, and I probably got six or seven of them on the phone that would talk to me for a while, and um, they were very open about it. And the resounding, um, you know, denominator between all those is that it was all Facebook ads. It was it wasn't just drop shipping, but it was a primarily drop shipping for the most part where there was that big gold rush for Shopify. And, um, they, they said it as simply as listen, it's, it's, it's Facebook advertising. And, uh, once you, you do all this testing and then once you find the right product, you can kind of scale up and there's different, uh, courses and coaches that can kind of help you, uh, mm-hmm. get to that level. So I went down that rabbit hole, um, for maybe nine months to a year where I was, I tested a few stores and um, I helped a few other friends who were younger that wanted to um, start, start an online business. And I said, Hey, you know, like I know some guys that are clients that, that do kind of this, maybe you can kind of um, replicate their business model. Um, and, and they became pretty successful, successful right away. So my, so my other friends said, well, why don't you do it? So I, of course, uh, started my own, store. I think I had one that just failed right away. And then me just being stubborn kept starting Morris, right? So I think it was the second or third one that I created um, that was uh, a drop shipping store to begin with, but eventually it, it um, grew beyond that. And we had to uh, get a warehouse with employees and things like that. And uh, within that first month, we, we really, my, and when I say we, I mean my wife and I, because she was the one curating products. It was a women's jewelry boutique. Okay. Um, we really, we really struck it big. I mean, with the first, the first month we maybe did, I'd say like 20 to 30 grand in revenue. Mm-hmm. The second month we did 500,000 in revenue and the third month we did $600,000 in revenue. And so it became a, uh, the first, first year we did over 4 million. The second year we did, I think six and a half million. Um, wow. And it kind of continued on like that. And that was maybe four or five years ago. And, and um, so I'd be lying if I, if I said it wasn't a large amount of luck with the, the uh, expansion of the business happening so quickly. Um, but I would say that something was going to work for me one way or the other, but um, I did get lucky with, uh, with a business that ended up churning out, you know, large amounts of revenue because those were high profit high profit businesses, I mean, literally, you know, 85 to 90% margin on products and after overhead, maybe 70 to 75% profit. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we we were, my wife and I, that uh, my wife is certainly my co-founder in that business. You know, we, we went from being, you know, just average, average shows and me being a struggling entrepreneur to, 
really not having to worry about a whole lot for a while. And then um, at that point I was, I, I had learned a lot, you know, we, we had employees, we had, uh, and, and this business has been sold since it sold uh, about a year I was and a half ask. ago. Okay. Yeah. It sold about a year and a half ago. I think we, we both, my wife and I just got kind of tired of um, running that and we were more fascinated with other opportunities, particularly real estate investing, investing in other startups, helping others, like investing in, in companies that are trying to either be e-commerce based or build their B2C side so that I'd be a value added partner. Um, and then mm -hmm. I also, um, you know, was interested in doing short-term rentals through Airbnb, VRBO as more of a solid, um, a solid steady semi-passive revenue stream. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the timeline of the whole story. <laughs> It's a great story. So let's go back in time here a little bit. And I, I was taking a few notes here as you were talking. And I just want to go through the individual businesses that led up to this jewelry business. Real quick here, what was the name of this business? The first, well, it, it ended up being like eight different stores. But the the one that, um, that hit it big immediately was called Diadem Boutique. That's something where it, it's, it started off drop shipping and it was also changed hands, you know, a year and a half ago. So if you sure. Google that and find some bad reviews, uh, don't, don't blame me. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some market forces going on there. Um, sure. Sure. No, I just wanted a name for context for the discussion, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, um, and that split off into several different stores. We had Diadem Bride, Ivy Wild Boutique. We had Lolo Love and, and uh, probably a dozen, honestly, it's probably more than, yeah, it's at least a dozen, I think. The reason being is these things were so cyclical, right? With with um, either drop shipping or drop forwarding, which is shipping in bulk from China and then distributing it from the US, which is actually what a lot of like Walmart.com and Amazon companies mm -hmm. do now. A lot of people aren't familiar with how that works when, they're, when they can't get Prime in two days and it arrives in seven to nine days, that's Chinese forwarding. So it's mm -hmm. just the next step between drop shipping and domestic production with these sites these 12 sites were these all drop ship so um because we were making so much money so the month we hit the first month that we hit five hundred thousand in revenue we pretty much broke the oberlo um uh, account that we had and the aliexpress account we had because they can't process that many orders because we, we were doing you know like a thousand orders a day or something and our credit cards were getting shut down they weren't processing we we're getting locked out of everything so i had to actually fly to china um, like that second month and, um, meet with, um, someone who became a very close and still is a very close friend and, and, uh, exclusive supplier for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and he at the time was transitioning out of his job from Ali, Alibaba. And, um, he was just a one man show. And then he had to hire, he had to lease a warehouse in Shenzhen, um, China, where we were, um, which eventually was in Guangzhou. And, um, and hire, I think it was initially like three employees there and then it became like 12 and now he's got like 60 or 70 employees. Um, yeah, primarily it was, it was just um, me and I think he had like one or two other clients at the time. So it wasn't, it wasn't drop shipping. Uh, it wasn't truly drop shipping because drop shipping is where you sell the order uh, to a customer and then purchase the order from the supplier and they ship it out. This we were actually buying in bulk, so I'd place a hundred thousand dollars 
in orders um, mm -hmm. and cash for the inventory that's to be stored in our warehouse, um, which we, you know, I had a shared partnership with. And then, um, and then, so we owned that inventory outright. And that was an asset on our balance sheets. Got it. And where was this warehouse? In Guangzhou, China. I think I'm Got saying it. that wrong, depending on your accent. I was Yep, I was curious if it was in China or here in the States, but that makes sense. So you would you'd buy in bulk up front, store it there in the warehouse, and when orders would be processed from these 12 different sites, that's when those shipments would go out. Exactly. And then we had an office in here in Denver, Colorado, where we live, um, mm -hmm. just marketing uh, assistants and various marketing people and um and then like most things we would, we would contract out. So like anything development wise that I couldn't figure out, I would hire a developer for, um, sure. uh, graphic design, things like that. Um, that anything that's like outside of our skill set internally, we would just hire out because in my experience, I'm just not the, I'm not the type of personality that likes to have a lot of employees. And also, um, from, a cost perspective it's just difficult i think unless you've got a really stable long-term yep. uh infrastructure business which we didn't you know every single month it was kind of like when is this when is this crazy you know ride gonna end <laughs> and, and we, we didn't know if that was month two or year two or you know and sure. it kept kind of going and going and and um yeah so it was a pretty you know uh entrepreneurs tend to be fairly like, you know, manic just by nature in general. And, mm -hmm. uh, that, that wasn't helpful in some ways to my own, like, you know, my own stress. And, um, so that's why I was kind of always trying to, uh, find an exit out of that eventually. Um, which I was lucky, lucky plea, uh, that, that happened. So. Sure. Sure. How did you find this niche? Like what was like the aha moment? You know, it really wasn't that, it wasn't that, um, difficult because I was, like I said, I kind of had this back door into all these different businesses and they're all kind of selling the same genres of things. They're all selling, um, a lot of people were selling watches at the time, jewelry, um, hot items, which is another word for like trending items. So like fidget spinners were a great example sure. of that. Right. So like little things like that. And, and I always found the the trending items to be two hit or a miss, you'd have to try 10 and then one of them would hit. But that said, a lot of people made, you know, millions of dollars on that craze. Um, but we knew that like, you know, the value of my wife kind of being a fashionista and loving, um, loving all things fashion and following trends, she was able to say, let's mm. just pick jewelry and fashion. And then she can kind of curate all this, th all these things. So the value of, I always kind of tell people this when I've helped other people start websites and drop shipping stores in the past, like pick something that you can add value to, right? Like if you can't just put up a website with products and expect to sell them, well, what we were selling is a curated place to go for people that liked my lifestyle of fashion essentially, right? Or what, what she thought that the customers would want similar to um, people following, you know, social media influencers or blogs, right? Like you're essentially just following curated content. And that, that is really the value that, it, that it, any, you know, drop shipping obviously has a, a stigma to it, um, especially now, but, um, you know, in reality, that's, that's essentially the value that any, any retail store provides. Let's take a quick commercial break. Have you ever lost money in the stock market? Have you ever listened to someone, you know, heard a comment online or tried to follow a trend and still ended up losing money? 
If so, you're not alone. A lot of people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions. What if you could completely remove emotions from investing? What if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic? And what if there's a software that handled that logic for you? I would like to introduce Ticker. Ticker makes investing easier, smarter, and faster. Before Ticker launched, it was backtested through the 2008 recession. Here are those surprising results. In 2008, the market dropped by 38%. Ticker was up 24%. In 2009, the market went up by 23%. Ticker was up 72%. And in 2010, the market went up by 12%. Ticker was up 96%. Ticker allows you to find great investments before they become mainstream news. It helps you understand when to buy and when to sell, and it clearly defines why a stock is a great investment, providing you with the confidence to make a great decision. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R dot pro. Again, ticker.pro. A few minutes back, you kind of breezed through it, but did you come into these businesses after they were already started, or did you start from scratch with your wife? I started everything from scratch and, okay. and um, you know, starting the, the company when I was 19, the Gear Lobby website, which is what it was called, um, you know, I, I built that on a PHP platform. So I didn't, I never learned how to code, but I learned how to um, use pre-templated designs and then anything I need to do adjust in the code, I can find the answer online. And then like, it's a lot of, for sure. Um, kind of copying and pasting or asking forums and things like that. I got really good at, um, and this is what I tell anyone that's interested in like creating their website or, or, you know, um, creating a website or managing a website or whatever is you have to get really good at, uh, not be, at being comfortable, not knowing the answer, but knowing where to find the answer and being relentless yep. in finding it. Like it, sometimes it would take me weeks to figure out the solution to something that would be some super small one line snippet of code that just some <laughs> random guy knows online or random, random girl knows online. And I just have to find that person. Right. And so I would just be relentless and posting everywhere, posting my problem everywhere and then finding someone that could help me paid or unpaid. Well, I'm going to, again, I'll go back to the beginning here. And we'll just run through these businesses. So you had this, this first business when you were 19. Um, yeah, it was just like outdoor gear. It was, it was uh, reselling outdoor gear. So it was overstock gear. So I'd go, I would just hustle. I'd go around to all the different ski and bike shops in Colorado, which they're like, there at the time there were so many of them. And I would just knock on their door or call them. And I'd just say, I'd walk up to ask the manager and just say, Hey, I, you got any overstock gear? Um, I'll come in and like, this is like ski boots, uh, bike sure. shoes, yep. bike pedals, any kind of bike, anything you can think of that's outdoors, uh, bike, you know, uh, ski jackets and things like that. And I would, I would, they would, they would kind of say, yeah, I've got all the overstock stuff in this back closet or this back warehouse. So I'd go back there and just take photos of everything and then scan the, I think I had like a program to like scan the barcode and it would show exactly what it was. And then I would just put that into an Excel spreadsheet, upload it, and then it would be listed for retail. And then anything, I would take something like a 5% cut for the website after processing fees as my, as the fee to do it, which was astronomically low, but it was like just me trying to get a user base. And then the, uh, the store would obviously uh, benefit greatly because they'd be uh, getting rid of their overstock stuff, which would 
generally be sold off at like an end of the year, 70% off sale when they could sell it on my website for maybe 40 or 50% off. And it'll be uh, new gear that was just um, overstock. And then also it had a function where you could upload similar to like an eBay or something like that, where you could just upload your own products as a, as an individual sure. um, and, and listed for sale. Um, so it was just a marketplace that just didn't take off because I didn't have any understanding of how traffic worked. I mean, I just kind of put the website up. I hustled to get the products up. So everything was done on operational side, but okay. I didn't understand how to get customers to how to get uh, visitors to my website, which is hilarious. Like if I would have started that website back then, knowing what I know now, it probably could have worked. For sure. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So what were you doing wrong and what did you do to change that? Cause you really moved the needle significantly with this jewelry business going to $500,000 in revenue in a month. So let's talk about some of the ways you've driven traffic. I, I think I, I just, I was spinning my wheels in those earlier years. Um, I, I really didn't understand how it worked other than, you know, Kickstarter. It's very obvious where the traffic's coming from because you've got this platform it has mm -hmm. a bunch of visitors to it, right? And so I understood that, but I didn't understand how um, paid advertising works. And that's primarily where, where stores get their initial uh, boost of traffic, right? After they have sure. a brand presence and they're known, then they can kind of get organic traffic. But until then, you need to really pay for it um, or hustle it and get like blogs and things like that to write about your articles and things like that. Um, so I really spun my wheels for those first few years and that's why those businesses were only very mildly successful. Um, and then, and then once, once Facebook really hit its stride, what was this, six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, easy to get $5 conversions and by conversions, I mean, you know, customer acquisition yep. and your lifetime value of your customers anywhere from 25 to a hundred Fifty or two hundred dollars. Well, then you can just make money all day, and yep. it's not like a traditional business model where you have to raise money because it's actually cash flowing from day one. So you can reinvest the cash from the first, uh, you know, cohort of advertising and, and traffic, mm -hmm. and invest that into the next next one. So it was it was really very easy, um, and and it was a I'd, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a a craze, right? Like it was like Google AdWords were in the early, you know, 2000s to 2009, um, at least from, from what I've heard is that it was kind of similar, right? Like traffic was so cheap that it was very difficult to not make money if you had a somewhat decent product. And the reality is that that business model wouldn't, wouldn't work nearly as well now. I mean, you have to just invest so much more in better content, better, higher quality products. Drop shipping is more difficult because you can't get uh, the larger lifetime value because people don't want to wait that long because they're conditioned to Amazon and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it was certainly something where um, I, I, again, kind of hit this point where I needed to pivot and grow outside of um, being just an e-commerce business owner and venture off into doing more consulting projects, investing in companies where I could be of value, and then also investing um, a lot of the money that I that we made in profits from the business into steady income streams. So, you know, putting big money into mo most money into, you know, retirement plans, 401ks, things like that. Yep. Indexes. And then also, um, you know, learning to day trade and, um, or swing trading or something like that, even though that's, mm -hmm. that's a whole nother story. <laughs> it's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother game. And then, um, but primarily, 
the the best investment that we made was um, purchasing three um, uh, rental properties in Breckenridge and in uh, New Mexico, and um, and also the house that we actually more recently bought in Golden, Colorado, which will um, soon become a, a long term rental. But the other ones are short term rentals, and they do, you know, they've got a twenty five percent cap rate, so we're yep. we're making 25, 20 to twenty five percent. Um, per year um, on our investment. And, and it's pretty automated because I've, I've learned quite a bit. Um, my wife and I've learned quite a bit about how to efficiently operate these things and get good reviews and kind of snowball and, and get the highest amount of revenue for those. So that's kind of where nowadays, even though I still own the cooped business and that's a steady stream of revenue, um, but not a, not a huge moneymaker. Um, you know, I've got that and I've got the, the rental properties and then, um, on equities and then investments in various startups that, you know, it's like you got to invest in 10 startups in order to have one hit. And, you know, it's usually going to make money on the back end when it exits. So I haven't had an exit yet on any of those, but it, uh, a couple of them look, look pretty promising. Sure. Sure. Well, it sounds like you're well diversified. That's for sure. Um, I'd, I'd like to spend a little time around the sale of this jewelry business. Cause this sounds like the big, biggest home run you had to date at least. Is that correct? You know, it sounds like it, it would be, but really the biggest home run was actually operating uh, during those first two years because okay. like I, I was telling you about the decline of, um, of uh, you know, I should say decline, not necessarily decline of sales, but decline of profit over time because with Facebook ads being our primary source of um, customer acquisitions, mm -hmm. um, Facebook in the last five years has had a supply that's really been capped. Um, I don't know, whatever it is now, it's like a billion or a billion and a half views per day. And it's pretty much been the same for seven years. So the supply has been capped for years, but the demand has constantly increased over those years. Every quarter, you know, it jumps, it jumps significantly. So the cost of customer acquisition had just increased um, without fail every single quarter for the last five years. So we actually made, um, even though we, we did, we did, uh, you know, capture a, a good lump sum of money on the sale of that business, we actually made more operating it during those Interesting. first two to two to three years um, of that boom. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. So the uh, customer acquisition cost, you know, you were starting at, you said about $5, is that correct? Yeah, when it first started, we would expect to convert um, convert a customer into a purchaser between $5 and $15, depending on the product, mm -hmm. um, depending on the price of the products. Um, and then that slowly increased to $20, and, that, and then it wow. became $30, and it became, you know, close to $40. And, um, but not only that, but also average order uh, value is going down. Mm -hmm. um, customer lifetime value is going down because people were getting more and more accustomed to Amazon and market forces and things like that. So um, there was all sorts of things. And, and we knew that from day one, right? We knew this wasn't going to be something that's going to last forever, but it was more of like a, a, a bit of a gold rush. Um, that and, and also, you know, every single day, it seemed like there was a new, you know, quote unquote guru that was out there teaching people how to create a new Shopify store. So there was going to be more and I, we knew there was going to be just more and more people flooding the market with stores similar to ours. I and mean, we had been, we had been copied like, you know, a hundred times over. I mean, I had been copied in the past on like, you know, every business I've had the laser shirts business, the fly pedals business. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and th those ones were, were brutal to see when people would copy our, you know, actual product mm -hmm. that we like kind of poured our hearts into. Um, whereas copying the dropshipping store, was like, you can't really blame them. It's so easy to do it. Right. Can you get patents on any of these products you created? I'm looking at the laser shirts as well as the fly pedal. Yeah. Yeah. Fly pedals does have, um, does have patents on it. Yes. As okay. a couple design patents. And I think it's got one utility patent. Okay. Another one pending. Um, so you can, you can patent certain things, but the reality is this um, about patents is that for small businesses, especially niche businesses, patents are meaningless. They're essentially a marketing tactic because let's say, I mean, we wouldn't, oh, it's not even hypothetical. I mean, we got ripped off many times uh, for fly pedals in particular. They copied exactly what we have a patent on, but we can't do anything because it costs, <laughs> it's going to cost me a million dollars to go after somebody in a patent lawsuit and, and sure. even worse is the people that are copying us aren't even in the U.S. They're in China. And so and we're, we actually manufacture those products in Denver. And so um, and that, that product has actually since been that business has since been exited as well. We sold that business uh, a year ago, my business partner and I. OK. Um, just because we just we were, we were you know busy doing other things and we felt like someone else could do a better job. And that that owner has done a great job um, as far as I know. Um, taking that over, but great. Um, but yeah, going back to patents, um, the, it's one of these things where it's a little bit cringy um, when, and I only say cringy because it's something that I learned the hard way myself because I thought like this, but a lot of early business owners, product developers in particular, think they need, it's super important for them to patent their business or patent their product. And the reality is that that's a terrible waste of, of, uh, Resources. of expense, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to file it yourself or whatever and spend a few thousand bucks, sure, go ahead and do it. But in reality, unless you've got a multi-million dollar business, it's irrelevant because you, you're mm -hmm. not going to have the resources to defend it. And those people that copy it, uh, depending on the type of product are most likely going to be outside of the country where your pro where your patent doesn't apply. That's very insightful. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate hearing that. Spend your time and money on things that actually move the needle. Um, yeah. And that's not always the case, but um, right. You know, generally for niche products, that's certainly my experience. And, and then for the software that I, that we developed, um, uh, we thought about patenting it, my business partner and I, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I created the, the product and business, but I had investors that I, uh, that are very strong uh, mentors and advisors. So I consider them co-founders and sure. um, we, we decided that it didn't make sense to do it because software patents are extremely difficult to defend, even more yes. expensive than physical products because someone can copy the exact function of your app and just write it in a different style of coding, right? Or a different yeah. way that kind of goes around. So um, just another reason that uh, was a learning experience for me of, of, you know, stop worrying about getting your product patent, patented and focus on mm -hmm. increasing your revenue, building a user base and becoming a, a brand that people in whatever industry you're in know it well. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you wish you would have bought some stocks earlier? Imagine buying Amazon for $125 in 2010. Today, Amazon is over $2,500. Imagine buying Facebook for $25 in 2013. Today, Facebook is over $200. Imagine buying Netflix for $60 in 2014. Today, Netflix is over $400. 
Do you feel like you find out about great stocks too late? What if you could find great stocks before they become mainstream news? And what if there's a software that found those stocks for you? With Ticker, you can find great stocks before what feels like the rest of the world finds out. Does this sound too good to be true? Check this out. Ticker was backtested from 1999 through 2019 and has proven to beat the market every year. The lowest return was 10% and the highest return was 96%. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R dot pro. Again, ticker dot pro. Well, what I'm hearing overall, there's definitely a common denominator here of e-commerce success. You know, it sounds like you build really clean, attractive websites with great product imagery, photos, and then you really leverage the power of advertising. And in your historical case, it sounds like Facebook. Um, and that all leads up to, I, I want to talk about one of these sales here, because selling a business can be a little more difficult than people believe. So let's break down this process a little bit. Were you approached or did you actively pursue the sale of your business? For the fly pedals business, we um, contracted a brokerage, um, okay. a, a business broker. And then, um, in, in, and then, so I, now I know, uh, now I know of the different brokerages to use for like selling different businesses. So if we eventually decide to sell the cooped software business, um, there's a particular brokerage that does really well, the Shopify app. So I would contract them. So that's what we did for fly pedals. We contracted a brokerage that they take a percentage. It's usually somewhere between like eight and 12% okay. of the sale, which is fair because they, they bring a lot of leads in and, and uh, they have their own platform for traffic of investors. And then for the, the larger business, the, the retail dropshipping business that we had, um, I'm just going to use the word dropshipping for sure. purposes of just making it easier. Um, yep. That one, I just, uh, um, I'd considered using a brokerage, but I first just set out to kind of um, leverage my network and ask if yeah, people that, because I was connected to that CPA community and a lot of my friends were CFOs, controllers at different larger companies. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to a lot of people that had left into industry and um, out of public accounting and um, worked for companies that did, you know, retail, particularly in consumer or like um, uh, fashion products. And then, sure. um, found somebody that was interested in buying it for, um, you know, to kind of add it to their, um, their base of products, their line of products that they mm -hmm. um, were offering. And then that was, uh, that was how it worked. And it was a long process selling other businesses, yep. uh, not fun at all. Um, and then, you know, there's, it's stressful and it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it, there's obviously very big benefits to it, but it's certainly, it's not, I think looking back at it, I, I don't think it was a mistake to sell it, but it was certainly something that I might have um, done differently. I might've sold it earlier on mm -hmm. um, and I might have been a little bit more selective of, uh, yeah, who we sold it to. Um, but yeah, so big learning experience there, but who knows, it, it's hard to, it's hard to really know what would have happened. How long did it take to sell both fly pedal and the jewelry dropship business? Fly pedals was listed on the, um, brokerage for sale for a long time. I think close wow. to two years. 
and we met with my business partner and I met with, I would say upwards of two dozen, whether in person, physical meetings or phone calls, or like even like, you know, several phone call, um, uh, like conferences mm-hmm. with, uh, interested buyers over that two year time period until we just found somebody that, um, was perfect for yeah. it, you know, um, had the right, right experience. Cause a lot of the people just didn't have the, the right, um, skill set or resources because it was such a small sure. business, right? It wasn't a, a business that a, that a large company was going to buy, even though that mm-hmm. was our hope. They, they just weren't really interested. So we, then we knew it was going to be some smaller entrepreneur and they needed to have the, the e-commerce skills to take over. So that, that worked out really well. And then the, the larger business, um, we had an interested party, um, interested buyer within the first four or five months maybe of, of trying pretty, pretty mm-hmm. actively, but the sale didn't actually go through until eight or nine months after that. So over a year, wow. you know, t- total time frame. Um, yeah. And it was it, not going to lie. It was very stressful because there's a lot of, you know, if they have to secure financing or whatever, then we've got to provide, we've got to open all the yeah. books and, um, and then, you know, there's a lot of questions that get asked <laughs> and everything, you know, where, where does the liability stand if this happens yes. and this, it's very legal. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of, of all the, the legal details and mm-hmm. liabilities that you can do. And, um, and, and my biggest learning experience from, from any, from selling any business ever again, um, even though I didn't run into this problem directly, but I could see how it could have, could be an issue is to get, um, I believe it's called the tail policy. So when yes. you sell a business, you, you uh, essentially get an insurance policy that's called tail policy that protects you from anything that might happen in the future. And someone told me that a few months after I had a very close friend and mentor of mine told me that he said, Oh, did you get a tail policy? And I said, what, what, what what's a what now? <laughs> and, and then he told me what it was. And I went, Oh my God, why didn't you, you knew I was selling this business six months ago. Why the hell didn't you tell me <laughs> right. about a tail policy, man? <laughs> so um yeah one one learning experience i don't know if i'll you know sell another business again i hope i do mm-hmm. but that's, that's certainly one of the learning experiences sure I that's that's excellent experience wow and can you tell us about the acquisition multiple on both those businesses yeah the the fly pedals was not a large multiple i want to say it was like three and a half to five times yep. EBITDA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was on the lower end even. I think I want to say it was three okay. and a half. So it was very, very low. It was, it was very much so a business that we, that was, it was profitable and it was, it was easy to run, but we just didn't have time right. for it because we were, my business partner and I, um, he's since uh, very successful in the real estate business. Um, and I was doing my other thing. So we, it was very much so we just wanted to get rid of it. And then, um, the other business sold for, I want to say seven or eight times even. Really? The jewelry business sold for seven or eight EBITDA? I have to pull it up, but I believe it was seven or eight times. Um, but I think primarily because there was, there was growth and the margins were mm. so high that it had so much, it had so much, um, you know, margin for error in terms of, um, you know, like the business could drop 20% in sales, but it would still be fairly, very sure. profitable. Impressive yeah. because 
you know, I was thinking here with that fly pedals, it was going to arrive between three and five EBITDA. And I figured the jewelry, because of the, the logistics in place, the amount of effort to keep that maintained, um, the competitive nature of other Shopify sites, I'm like, I bet that's going to be three max. So to hear you say seven or eight, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I think part of that was probably just because of the, we, we had a large resource of active email subscribers that were converting very, very nice. profitably and very consistently. Um, so there's a lot of different factors there, but yeah, traditionally that is a high, high range to get. Um, and then to put that perspective, as you already know, I'm sure is software. Mm-hmm. So we're interested in selling the coop software business at some yeah. point. Um, and that's going to be valued, um, at, at yes. least 10 times. EBITDA. Yeah. That's hundred percent software. Yeah. It looks like that's more of a plugin. Is that right? There's no hardware exactly. related with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pure SaaS yes. product. Brilliant. Yep. 10X plus. There you go. All right. I want to start wrapping up here. So if somebody wants to start an e-commerce site, where should they start? Uh, a resoundingly Shopify. Um, uh, the Anyone that's that's thinking other than Shopify, it's it's like comparing Google to Bing or Ask Jeeves. I mean, it's... it's right on. Well, 100% my favorite, my favorite uh, e-commerce platform by far. All right, let's move into the final round here. It's called the rapid fire round. And if you could just answer each question within 15 seconds or less. You ready? I'll, I'll try my best. <laughs> All right, favorite podcast. Lately, I've been listening to the Bear Bull Traders podcast, which is because I'm interested in, tra- in day trading, but that's a new podcast with a few. And then generally I listen to like, um, like a Joe Rogan or I like Howard Stern, kind of the degenerate <laughs> podcast, just because they're they're comical and provide some entertainment sure. for there me. All right, what is a recent book you read and would recommend? Uh, every book I read, I usually read about one book every quarter, and they're they're almost always like guides to something. So I got into track car racing last year. I read a book called Advanced Techniques in Racing. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a book on habits, um, uh, like, uh, changing your habits, atomic habits, I believe is the name of the book. And then the book I'm reading now that I'm about to finish is called the complete guide to volume price analysis. So it's a lot of like tutorial styled cool. books. Yeah, I can relate. All right. Favorite movie. Forrest Gump. One of my favorite movies that came out that year, same year, 1994 was Shawshank Redemption. Great movie, but was beat. Oh yeah, nice. Oscar went to Forrest Gump that year. Yeah, I used to I used to work at a Bubba Gump's in Breckenridge about a you know fifteen years ago when I first moved to Colorado. So I I know everything about Forrest Gump. I had to do trivia with all my as a server. So with all the tables, you do trivia for Forrest Gump. So it, it, even though I w- I've watched it like ten thousand times, I, I still love it. I think we all have those moments, <clears throat> right? All right, favorite food. Uh, favorite food is definitely watermelon, but only when it's good. When it's bad, it's it's no good. But when it's a good watermelon, there's nothing better. That sweet spot. And how many hours do you work per week? Uh, it depends. I've definitely had weeks where I can put in over 100 hours for sure, especially when it's like research mode. I'm trying to mm-hmm. solve a problem. Um, but in the summertime when it's bike season, I, I'm probably working an honest like 15 to 20 hours a week. Or, or less. you. Nice. All right. How many hours of sleep do you get each night? 
uh, I have to get, I'm one of those guys that has to get like seven to eight hours minimum. I like to get nine if I can, but I have two young, younger kids and um, with the day trading, I'm trying to, trying to get sure, at least seven for you. All right. Last question here. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? I'd probably go back to that 18, 19 year old range um, before I started college and, um, and let myself know that I can pretty much self self teach my myself the things that I went to school for because I didn't really want to be in that career or was fit for that accounting career, finance career to begin with, and just try and try and fail. And uh, I should say try and try and fail and fail and fail is a better way to say it. Reality. Um, you know, because that's essentially that's how I learn, you know, everything. I think that it's important to know your personality, your strengths, your weaknesses. And um, I'm the type of person that, that only learns by failure, which is a blessing mm -hmm. and a curse. I can agree. I can relate. All right. That's a wrap, folks. So, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to give us your story here and, and some of the victories and challenges within your career. Is there a best way people can get a hold of you? The, the software program that I still love and uh, operate to this day is, you know, Cooped. So if you have an e-commerce business already, you can go to getcooped.com um, and, and, uh, or, or go to the app store on Shopify. And then um, for consulting, I really only take on medium, medium sized businesses mm -hmm. generally um, or anything over at least five, five million in annual revenue. So consulting business, if you're inter interested in that, I have a website um, at ecomperformancepartners.com. Got it. All right, Brian. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Sean. It's great. Thanks for listening to the Payback Time Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please provide a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you'd like to hear an interview from someone specific, please make a comment on the Payback Time Facebook page. If you're interested in becoming an affiliate and earning 30% reoccurring commission for simply sharing Ticker, visit ticker.pro slash affiliates. Remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only. If you heard any stock mentioned on this podcast episode, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is copyright protected by Payback Time. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Don't believe in it.